Well, good morning. It is great to be with you. I so appreciate uh, Vlad's invitation. Maybe I'm putting him on the spot here. If things don't go well this morning, he invited me, okay? So uh, I appreciate this guy and his family so very much. And it is a joy uh, to be with you today. Thank you for uh, your support of what we're trying to do at North Greenville University as we're trying to raise up the next generation of young men and women to impact this culture and the nations with the gospel. Please continue to pray for us. Uh, every day that I walk that campus, I sense that uh, our task becomes more strategic and more critical each and every day. So thank you for praying uh, with us and for us. I want to tell you a story this morning about a man. He was considered to be the fastest man in the world. At age 22, in the 1924 Olympic Games, he was to have run the 100-meter dash, an event in which everyone agreed he was all but guaranteed to win the gold medal. However, a few days before that medal event was run, this young man by the name of Eric Little discovered that the qualifying heats for the 100-meter dash were going to be run on a Sunday. Eric Little was a strong Christian with very strong convictions about the Lord's Day. And so even though it meant giving up what was sure to be a gold medal victory, Eric Little determined he would not run those qualifying heats on a Sunday. Now, as you might imagine, a great uproar followed. The Olympic Committee of Great Britain got together and they told Eric Little, you have got to run this race. He steadfastly refused. He was summoned to a personal meeting with the Prince of Wales, who also said to him, Eric, we're all counting on you. Run this race. He stood firm and said, I will not. Finally, he received a telegram from the British Prime Minister, which said, this is not about you. This is about us as a nation. We expect you to run this race. Eric Little said, I will not. In spite of this incredible pressure that was placed on this man, Eric Little understood in that moment that he had a choice to make. And he asked himself a question. He said, will I please my country? Will I please my king? Will I please myself, or will I please God? Eric Little made the difficult, but the right decision. And he said, I will please God. The longer I live, church, the more convinced I seem to become every single day that this is really the critical issue in the Christian life. The critical issue in the, in the Christian life asks this question, 
who do I really want to please the most? As I live my life in my family, in my culture, in my country, who do I really want to please the most? And if I dare to say, I want to please God, then what does that really mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for our lives and for our futures? Well, I want to see if we can answer that question this morning by looking at the life of one man who determined that he would please God. I want us to look this morning at the life of Moses. Now, even though Moses was one of the heroes of the Old Testament, I want us to look at his life this morning from a New Testament perspective as we find it boiled down, condensed, and summed up for us in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, verses 24 through 26. So this essential truth that we're looking at, which says, who do I want to please the most? What's screaming out at us here this morning is this, who do I really want to please the most? So let's look at how this worked out in the life of Moses. We'll put the verses up on the screen, and you can follow along. God's Word says this, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, folks, this is an amazing biography. And it's something, I think if we're honest, we sometimes have a hard time getting our head around and getting our hearts around because our contemporary version of Christianity is so chock full of materialism and consumerism and personal security and success and an almost hedonistic understanding of the blessing of God that it has become increasingly difficult for us to do what these verses say we must do, and that is this. If I'm really serious about my faith, if I am really serious about following Jesus Christ, if I am really serious about being His disciple, then I must always choose to please God. Not myself, not other people, but I must make the decision that I am going to please God. Now, when we talk about pleasing God, what are we talking about? Let me share some things with you this morning that I hope will help you. And we're going we're gonna to work our way through the points on this little outline this morning. Here's the first thing I want to share with you about pleasing God, and it's really very simple. Here's what pleasing God means. Pleasing God simply means saying yes to God. That's what it means. And I don't know that we could, could really put it any simpler than that. Pleasing God means saying yes to God. That means when God comes to me and says, Alan, this is what I want you to do, whatever that thing is, 
When God says, this is what I want you to do, then my immediate response must be, God, if that is what you want me to do, then yes, that is what I will do. I will say yes to God. That's what it means to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, the chapter in which these verses are located that we just read together, Hebrews chapter 11 is just filled with the names of men and women who said yes to God. And you can read down through these verses. This is what some have called God's hall of fame. All of these people who said yes to God, whether it was Abel or Enoch or Abraham or Moses or Rahab or Gideon or David or any of these other heroes of the faith, these people are in this chapter because every one of them in some way, shape, form, or fashion said yes to God. And if you look at verse 5, I put that up here for you. It's in your outline in particular. Speaking of Enoch, it says that Enoch was commended as one who what? He pleased God. Enoch pleased God because he said yes to God. So pleasing God simply means saying yes to whatever it is God tells you to do. And when God says, this is what I want you to do, whether it's in your individual life, in the life of your family, in the life of your church, in what God is calling you to do among the nations, when God says, this is what I want you to do, your job and my job is not to say, well, God, let me think about it. God, let me sleep on it. God, let me seek some counsel about it. It's not even to say, God, let me pray about it. When God speaks through His Word, through His messenger, through His church, and God tells you to do something, then your response and my response must be an immediate, yes, Lord. Or we will never please God. Why? Because pleasing God means saying yes to God. Now I want you to st- I just want to stop right here for a second and I want you to think about something in your life that God's been dealing with you about. I don't have any clue what it is. But I would bet every single person within the sound of my voice this morning if you're serious about your relationship with God, God is speaking into your life in some way. There is something you know He is telling you to do. Maybe He's been telling you to do it for a long, long time. Maybe He just spoke to you yesterday. But here's the fact. If you want to please God, more than pleasing others, more than pleasing yourself, if the most important thing in your life is to please God, then I want to encourage you that today would be the day when you say yes. No caveats. No qualifications. Simply, God, if this is what you're telling me to do, then God, that is exactly what I will do because that's what pleasing God means. Pleasing God means saying yes to God. Now, is that pretty clear? Is it pretty clear? Okay. Is it easy to do? No. <laughs> it's not, is it? See, that's, this is the hard thing. We, we can see this, and, and most of us can agree with this, but now when, when it comes down to the reality It is seldom an easy thing for us to do. And here's why, and here's the second thing I want to share with you, and that's what makes this hard. You see, if I'm going to say yes to God, it means that sometimes 
I'm going to have to say no to myself. That's why this is hard. But we need to understand this. If I'm going to say yes to God, it means sometimes I'm going to have to say no to myself. And this is a critical principle for us to understand. If I say yes to God, it's going to automatically mean I'm going to have to say no to some other things in my life. Now, Hebrews 11:24 shows us that this is exactly what Moses had to wrestle with here. All right, look at this verse. It says, by faith, when Moses had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, look at that word refuse there. That word means to reject something. It means to deny something. It means to turn away from something. So at some point in Moses' life, we don't know exactly when, it just says when he had grown up. Let me just say something here about that little phrase, when he had grown up. We're talking about growing up here in our faith. We're talking about a mark of Christian maturity to understand that saying yes to God sometimes is going to mean saying no to ourselves. That's a bedrock foundational principle of the Christian life. And so at some point after Moses had grown up, it says here, he realized that he was suddenly confronted with a decision of cosmic proportions. Was he going to say yes to himself and enjoy all of the benefits and the pleasures that came along with being known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Was that the best choice? To say yes to himself? Or was it better to say yes to God when it meant leaving behind all of the benefits and the pleasures of Egypt? And let me tell you, there were a lot of, there were a lot of benefits and pleasures to leave behind. That title that Moses wore, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, second in command over the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time, next in line to be the Pharaoh. As the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses had popularity. Everybody knew him. He had power. His wish could have been everybody else's command. He had security and comfort. He had stability. I mean, he was climbing the ladder of success, and he was almost at the top rung. But Moses had a decision to make. What was more important? Pleasing God or pleasing himself. And when Moses came to understand that pleasing God meant saying yes to God, he also understood that it meant saying no to himself. It meant saying no to Pharaoh. It meant saying no to Egypt. It meant saying no to everything that went along with that. And so verse 25 says here, he chose, he made the decision to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now let me say something to you here about that little phrase, the pleasures of sin, because I want you to understand what's being talked about there. When it talks about Moses choosing the pleasures of sin, it's not talking about his participating in the, in the immoral 
hedonistic practices of ancient Egypt. There is no evidence in God's Word that Moses ever participated in those kinds of things. When God's Word speaks about Moses choosing to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, what it is talking about there is the sin of pleasing himself rather than pleasing God. That would have been it. His sin would have been holding on to his position of prestige, holding on to his position of honor, holding on to his position of power instead of letting go of those things for the pleasure of God. Now, I want to tell you something here that, you know, I, I don't know if you write things down or not, but if you don't write anything else down that I say today, this one is probably worth writing down. Not because I say it, but because God's Word says it. And this is it. Pleasing yourself at the expense of pleasing God is a sin. Can I say that again? Pleasing yourself at the expense of pleasing God is a sin. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasing yourself sometimes, okay? There's nothing wrong with pleasing yourself sometimes. But to hold on when God says let go, to stay where you are when God is trying to get you somewhere else, that is a sin even when what you have and where you are brings you a lot of benefit and a lot of pleasure. This is why this is hard. And this is why our own particular brand of North American Christianity makes it even harder because in our culture we have been almost pre-programmed to avoid anything that makes us say no to ourselves. We don't like to do that. We don't want to do that. And so we're not willing to many times to say no to ourselves because we want to please ourselves more than we want to please God. So what's the answer to this thing? What is the answer to this thing? How can we come to grips with this thing that most of us hate to do, and that is say no to ourselves, but that God says we must do if we really want to please Him? What's the secret? How? How can we shift our thinking, recognizing that it's hard? How do we make this shift from most of all wanting to please ourselves or please others to wanting most of all to please God? Well, let me share this with you that I hope will help you at this point. It becomes easier, not easy, but it becomes easier to say no to God when I understand that God's blessings are given to me not for my personal pleasure, but for His greater purpose. Do you understand that? The blessings that God gives you, the blessings that God gives me, and we are of all people most blessed, aren't we? The blessings God gives you and the blessings God gives me, He doesn't give us those things for our own personal pleasure and benefit. He gives us those things because he has a greater purpose that he's trying to carry out in the world, and he expects us to join him in 
that. Now, I want you to think for a minute about how Moses got to the position he was in in Egypt. How did Moses come to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Do you remember the story? Do you remember what happened when, when Moses' parents put him in that little reed basket and floated him down the Nile River? God guided that basket. God brought that basket there to where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. God orchestrated all of this. God brought all of this about. This was God's doing. Moses was in Egypt. Moses was the son of Pharaoh's daughter because God orchestrated all of that. The problem was God never intended for Moses to stay in Pharaoh's palace for the rest of his life. God's plan was to use the time that Moses spent in Pharaoh's palace to prepare him for the time when he would lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. You see, when God got ready to bring his people out of Egypt, he was going to need somebody who knew Egypt. He was going to need somebody who knew the background and the understandings and the culture of Egypt. He was going to need somebody who understood the thinking of the Egyptians. He was going to need somebody who understood a Pharaoh well enough to be able to walk into a Pharaoh's court, look him in the eye, and say, let my people go. That's why God made Moses the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's why he gave him his position. That's why he gave him his power. None of those blessings ultimately were for Moses' pleasure and benefit. They were for God's greater purpose. Now, we run a risk in our affluent culture as Christians. And the risk is this. The risk is taking the blessings that God has given us and making the decision that they're our blessings. That God has given those things to us for our own benefit and for our own pleasure. No, no, no. God gives us the things that we have. God puts us in the places where we are because He's got a greater purpose in mind. And that is why you and I must always be asking ourselves, God, as I look at the things you've given me, how do you want me to use these things to advance your purposes? God, as I look at where I am today, how do you want to use my experiences and, and my abilities in order to get me to the place you want me to be tomorrow? You see, church, we must ask those questions. And the reason why we must ask those questions, I hope, is because we're interested in the will of God. If you're interested in the will of God, you need to ask those questions. If you're simply interested in your own will, then the only question you need to ask is, what pleases me? Or what pleases you? But if you're truly interested in the will of God, then the question you must is, ask is, God, what pleases you? And that means we've got to be willing, as hard as it may be, to give up anything, to walk away from anything, to move away from wherever we are, 
to get to the place God wants us to be. And the tragic thing is, some of us will never get to the place God wants us to be because we're not willing to walk away from anything. We're not willing to let go of anything. We're not willing to say yes to God because we're not willing to say no to ourselves. Are you uncomfortable yet? (laughs) This isn't easy, is it? This is hard, and I guess probably this is, if you, if you want me to just be honest, the reason why I'm sharing this message with you today is because I'm trying to figure out what in the world it means for me right now. But let me close this morning by giving you some really good news. Some really good news, something I hope will help you and make you understand this basic fact. It is always worth it to go all the way with God. It is always worth it to go all the way with God. And here's why. When I choose God's pleasure, when I make pleasing God more important than pleasing anyone else, then I get God's reward. If I choose God's pleasure, I get God's reward. Look at verse 26 here as we wrap this up. It says, He, that is Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. What reward? Well, I don't really think this is talking about heaven, okay? I don't think it's talking about heaven. Now, I'm sure Moses was looking forward to heaven. I just don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. I think too much of our Christianity sometimes is focused on when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And it will be. And I'm looking forward to heaven. But folks, do you realize how much we miss out on right here on planet Earth because we're not willing to say yes to God? The writer of Hebrews is talking about an intensely personal and temporal reward in the life of Moses. You see, when Moses left Egypt, when he said yes to God, he didn't get to be the next Pharaoh. That's a pretty good thing. Because if you remember, Pharaoh and all his army got drowned in the depths of the sea. But Moses walked with God. Moses talked with God. Moses saw the burning bush. He heard the heavenly voice. And when he came back to Egypt 60 years later with a staff in his hand, what Scripture calls the rod of God, Let me tell you, church, he absolutely controlled the agenda in Egypt. He held that rod out over the waters of the Nile River and they turned to blood. He held that rod out and impenetrable darkness covered the land. He held that rod out and devastating plagues overcame the nation. He held out that rod and the Red Sea parted and God's people crossed over on dry land. Moses ate manna from heaven. He drank water from out of a rock. He became the great leader of the people of God and he led them out of Egypt and into the promised land. 
Moses walked with God, and when he died, he is the only person in all of Scripture of whom it says God buried him. And if you go to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus was revealed there on the Mount of Transfiguration, shining like the sun, the Bible says it was Moses, along with Elijah, who appeared with him. Now, I want you to tell me, which was the better deal here? If Moses had remained in Egypt, if he had chosen to please himself, I guarantee you, we would have never heard of him. We wouldn't be talking about him today. He'd be some mummy in King Tut's tomb or something. We wouldn't know who he was. I want you to hear me this morning. It is worth it to go all the way with God. It is worth it to please God. Because when I choose God's pleasure over my pleasure, over somebody else's pleasure, when I choose God's pleasure, I get God's reward. And many of us are content to, to, to work our way through life and miss out on that because we're not willing to say yes to God, because we're not willing to say no to ourselves. It is worth it to go all the way with God. Ah. I need to tell you the rest of the story about Eric Little. If you don't know it, some of you may. When Eric Little refused to run the qualifying heat for the 100-meter dash, he, he did not win the gold medal. He gave that up. However, there was a Jewish man on the Great Britain Olympic team by the name of Harold Abrams. And because Harold Abrams was Jewish, he didn't have any problems with running on a Sunday. So he came to Eric Little and he said, Eric, why don't we switch events? I'll run the 100 meters in your place. Now, you, that means you'll have to run the 400 in my place. Eric Little had never trained for the 400 meters. That was not his strength. But he agreed to do it. And just before he got into the starting block to run that 400-meter race, an American athlete who knew the decision that Eric Little had made came up and handed Eric Little a note right before the start of the 400-meter race. You know what that note said? It was very short. One sentence. God honors those who honor him. Eric Little ran the 400 meters. An event that he had not prepared for, he had not trained for, it was not his strength. He not only won the gold medal, but he set a world record in the 400 meters that lasted for generations. But even that's not the end of the story. If any of you saw the movie that, that sort of commemorated his life, it was called Chariots of Fire. You'll remember that after Eric Little won the gold medal in the 400, he became a national hero. He could have had anything he wanted. Instead, he walked away from it all. 
to become a missionary to China. And there he carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the back roads of that country, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Not long after he arrived in China, World War II broke out. Eric Little was captured. He was classified as an enemy national, and he was thrown into a prisoner of war camp. There he was crammed with about 1,800 other prisoners in a room maybe twice the size of this. He lived in a cubicle three feet by six feet. He was starved. He was beaten. He was abused. And yet, he shared the gospel, not only with his fellow prisoners of war, but with his captors. He organized athletic competitions. He taught hymns. In 1945, this is a picture of him in 1944 at that camp, but in 1945, just a couple of weeks before the Second World War ended, Eric Little died in that Japanese prisoner of war camp. His final words to the prisoners these, my desire in life above all else was to please God. Not myself, not others, but my desire is to please God. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what circumstances you're in. They're probably very different from the circumstances of Moses or Eric Little. But the question, the question is still the same. Will you please yourself? Will you please others? Or will you please God? I want you to bow your heads with me as we wrap up our time here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is challenging. It is sometimes very difficult for us to comprehend all that it means for us. And yet, Lord, I believe it's very clear what you would say to us today. That we have a choice to make in life. We have a choice to make every single day. Sometimes we have a choice to make every hour. Whether we're a student in school, whether we're in the business world, whether it's in our home, among our own family members, or out in the marketplace. God, help us to understand that the critical question of the Christian life really is, who do I want to please the most? And if we dare to say today, Lord, we want to please you, then God help us to understand right now it means saying yes to you. Whatever you're dealing with us about, it means simply saying, yes, God, I will do what you're telling me to do. Even when it means saying yes to you, it means I sometimes have to say no to myself. I have to walk away from some things. I have to let go of some things. Oh, God, would you help us to understand today that we are where we are and we have the things that we have? Not just so we can bask in those things and enjoy those things and revel in those things, as wonderful as those are, and we thank you that we, you give us good things for us to enjoy. We don't need to feel guilty about that, but, God, we do need to recognize that you haven't given us those things. You haven't placed us where we are. You haven't given us the opportunities and the education 
and the resources that we have so that we can just spend those things on ourselves for our own benefit and for our own pleasure because there is a world out there that is lost and dying, that is separated from Christ, that is headed toward a Christless eternity. And because you have a greater purpose in mind, because your heart is to draw all nations and all peoples into yourself, we must understand that the things you've given us, you've given us that we might throw them in to this great work of yours in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. And God help us to realize it, it, that, that it's, the, it's the wiles of Satan that would say to us, we give up too much when we follow you all the way. We lose too much when we become discommitted to Christ. Oh God, help us to realize that lie today and understand that when we choose your pleasure, we get your reward. There is far more that we lose on the path of disobedience than we will ever lose on the path of obedience. For it is obedience that unlocks the door to your richest blessings, both in eternity and also right here on earth. As we get to walk with you, we get to hear your voice, we get to see your work, we get to join you in what you're doing. So Father, in the quietness of these moments, as we get ready just to reflect and sing another song of worship and and reflection, Lord, if, if there are decisions that need to be made today, if there's someone who just finally needs to say, all right, God, today, today, I say yes to you. With all that it means, I I choose today, I say yes to what you're telling me to do. If that means for the first time embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then Father, I pray that 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 person would make that decision. If If it's following you in obedience, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in finances, whether it's in vocation, whether it's in your call upon some life today to literally walk away, Uh, from one direction and turn to another in order that they might follow you to that place you're leading them. God, give us the courage today and the understanding to make those decisions. Father, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.